What is going on, Sharp Football family? It is Rich Rebar, the Swami of Konami. And as you all know, sharpfootballanalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. You can choose from season-long four-week and weekly packages the best suit your needs. Use SHARP25 promo code for 25% off any product site-wide at sharpfootballanalysis.com. With that out of the way, we are here. Week one is in the books. Uh, a lot of things to go over. I wanted to bring on a, a friend of mine in the industry for so long because it's the first podcast that I ever went on. I was invited on his podcast. I've podcasted with this person more than any person in the industry, hundreds of times probably at this point. Uh, so now that I am hosting my own podcast, it's only my second show ever as I try to figure this out. I had to get him on because he's hosted me so many times. And that is uh, Davis Maddock. What is going on, brother? You know, dude, we are we are just trying to make it through. We're here. It's about to be week two. We're making our waiver claims. We've got a main event team together, trying to figure out DFS. You know, we're working on the projections. We are we are making it through, but I'm very glad to be on the show and be in the uh, the co-pilot seat here with you today. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, you guys asked me to come on and I said, listen, I've never been on a podcast. I don't know what I'm doing. And this is, I mean, I want to say this is like 2014, maybe at the time, maybe even older uh, than that. And I had like a little dinky webcam and, you know, trying to do stuff on my laptop and, and look at us now. Who would have thought? Paul Rudd. Who would have thought? Who would have thought through through all of this crap we would still be doing shows together? I mean, not I. Who, who I would I would not have guessed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, week one is in the books. I hope you had a good week. Uh, we're going to run into some things that kind of factor fiction, you know, things that were from week one that you can buy low or sell high on. But first, you know, a couple of big injuries that happened in week one. And unfortunately, uh, we lost some fantasy, you know, assets on the way. One was on our team in the main event, Jerry Judy. Uh, so Bummer. now that now that Jerry Judy is going to be done, he looked prime too, right? Like he was looking, he was looking really good in that game. He was moving all over, the, all over the formations. He was playing outside. People thought he was going to you know, he was playing inside, outside. He was catching, you know, balls in the middle. It was, it was ready. Everything was going to be take off. Uh, and then, you know, suffered that gruesome injury. So now that Jerry Judy's on the shelf, if you have Jerry Judy, how are you playing things in the, you know, the Denver wide receiving core, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler, what's your angle here? So I actually think this is the unpopular angle. Seems like there's a real Tim Patrick hive out there feels to me like Hamler is just a much more natural replacement. You can play him as the outside wide receiver if you want to play Fant and Akui Boonham. You can play him as the slot wide receiver if you want to play Sutton and Patrick. Even Seth Williams, you know, uh, who I believe is on the practice squad if they decide they want to get him some reps. So, and Ham, I, I know Tim Patrick. He's been in the NFL, I think, five years now. Like, he's he's been there for a while and is always generally yeah he's he's not generally played well when when given opportunities but it feels like if he was going to break out the breakout would have already happened and also Hamler feels like a guy who if he plays well so let's say they have this game against Jacksonville he plays well you know the coaching staff watches the film he looks good feels like he's also a guy where they start to do some stuff specifically for him jet motions you know uh, developing crossing routes things like that and you know, it, you've probably seen this video, the video of him returning a kick return for a punt at Penn State where he runs the entire length of the field in 10 seconds. Like the, to me, that's just the type of guy I want to be buying on my fantasy teams, like guys that fast. 
I, I'm actually with you on this. I, I think Tim Patrick's a really solid player. He reminds me a lot of like Zach Pascal in Indianapolis or like yes. Rashard Higgins. Like anytime these guys get a chance to play, they are productive players, but they don't really blow the, the lid off of anything. They're just solid, you know, ham and eggers get the job done and they're productive. You look at last year, I mean, Tim Patrick, he had eight top 36 scoring weeks, a really good player, uh, but he cleared 60 yards in just four games, you know, kind of relied on just kind of some touchdown production to get there. He had the touchdown in week one, but you talk about like a dynamic asset is KJ Hamler first they took him at pick 46 just a year ago like they invested a lot of draft capital into him uh and you saw if he secures that you know 50 yard touchdown one he's no secret really to anybody and two Jerry Judy doesn't get hurt because that happened on the rest of the drive uh, after he missed that touchdown grab uh but I'm kind of with you I think Hamler is the upside play out of those guys uh and the guy I would be kind of prioritizing to pick up whereas like you know, you might get like a Russell Gage type out of Tim Patrick and be, that, that, that's, there's nothing wrong with that, but Dude, it's, it's early in the yeah, season. That's, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I, I think Russ, I think Tim Patrick can give you a big Russell Gage season, 700 yards, four touchdowns, <laughs> you know, but Hamler, I think can have some spikes. And that is, you know, the way I draft teams, if Russell Gage was dropped in any of my leagues tomorrow, I literally don't know if I would add him, you know, like that just does not help my teams the way they were built. Yeah, I'm just not going to be scared missing out on a guy like Tim Patrick. If someone has him in his lineup against me too, uh, I'm not going to be scared going against him. Because whereas you know KJ Hamler might be a guy that could have a 20 point game, and I I've got to make up that ground. Uh, so yeah, the other big injury obviously happened, you know, to Raheem Mostert in San Francisco. First of all, we had huge news before, like right before lineup lock, uh, that Trey Sermon was going to be inactive, surprise inactive. Apparently, he was running with the practice squad all week during practice, but since everything's closed off, we don't get those reports anymore in season. And so he's inactive. Then I'm, I'm late swapping to get more Moster to my lineups because they're playing the Lions, like huge, you know, favorites. And the Lions were the worst team against running backs last year. So I'm trying to get Moster in the lineups. Moster lasts all of two touches. And now he's out for the year with knee surgery. His so replacement. Brutal. Yeah. So his replacement, Elijah Mitchell comes in, has the first hundred yard rushing game for a 49ers running back since Ricky Waters. It's the second in, in, in franchise history. Uh, and now he's got, he's basically the hottest, like kind of waiver pickup of week two. So how are we playing this 49er situation? Are we believing in sermon? You know, what, what, what's the angle here? Well, I never believed in sermon. So that's, I guess that's one thing that I think is maybe missing from this entire conversation. I, I, I actually don't know if I've seen anyone make this point yet that sermon was really not a particularly good prospect. Like how many guys, transfer schools because they can't beat out another guy who was what Ramondre went in the fourth round is that Mm -hmm. is that right so like he 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 saw Ramondre Stevenson was like well I'm not better than that guy so I'm going to Ohio State where I'm going to share touches with uh, another guy who's not very good Master Teague who is behind a true freshman behind an 18 year old this year at Ohio State it's not a, a fourth round pick is not a third round pick. That's really like the simplest way I can say it. Like there's a big difference between taking a running back in round two or round three, right? That's the difference between Cam Akers coming back from this Achilles injury next year and Trey Sermon. Like the Rams will probably try to give Cam Akers some touches just because of the draft capital. If Trey Sermon washes out, like it does not, it's no sweat off of Kyle Shanahan's back at all. Just really does not matter to him, especially if he's getting the good production from Elijah Mitchell, who was like a better prospect, right? Super productive, caught passes very fast. 
I don't know. I mean, I, I think that if I was setting my odds the rest of the season, I would assume Mitchell scores more points than Sermon. Sermon just got done being drafted in the seventh round for pretty much the entirety of the draft season, including by us in the FFPC main event. I'd rather have Mitchell today, I think. Yeah, I'm with you. So I like to look at this situation, one, and just removing Sermon entirely, right? Let's say Sermon, well, not removing entirely, but let's say Sermon played week one and was in the role that we thought he was going to be in and Mostert got hurt. I would still want Elijah Mitchell on waivers. He wouldn't have this kind of price, but he is the guy that's the, the Mostert archetype. I mean, you talk about he's a 217 pound, you know, speed space type of running back. I mean, he broke out as a true sophomore. He averaged uh, just a little under seven yards per carry. Uh, he's got and catch the football. He is the Mostert archetype. So if Mostert would have gotten hurt anyways, with Sermon even having a role, I would have been interested in, in wanting Elijah Mitchell. Now that we don't even know that Sermon is, is in the doghouse, what the actual situation is him, it elevates him and, I just feel like, you know, a lot of people are kind of getting, talking themselves out of Elijah Mitchell when he's a guy that's taking over in a backfield that is a backfield that we want to have attachment to. People are thinking the Shanahanigans are going to kind of come back into play and kind of talking themselves out of it. Je- Jeff Wilson. Jeff I hate, Wilson. I hate that, dude. I hate the <laughs> Shanahanigan stuff. Like, we don't want to have 49ers running yeah, backs. Like, exactly. Okay. Just like Patriots, right? I want to have Patriots running backs. I don't know where all these people that don't want Patriots running backs. They're good. They're productive players. Uh, yeah, I mean, and then people, you know, are worried about Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson is like the Tim Patrick of running backs. Like, you know, he's kind of like a ham and egg or does when he gets a bunch of carries, he's fine. But like any time that he's like, has a chance to compete with anybody, they choose the other guy. So I'm not really necessarily worried about Jeff Wilson either. And if Jeff Wilson really comes in and has a role, it's going to affect probably Michael Hasty and Trey Sermon. Now that we believe Trey Sermon's going to be active. So, I, I mean, I want to go all in on Elijah Mitchell. I think Fab is, is a pretty much a construct anyways. Uh, and if you're someone that just doesn't have to dollar out, you know, if you can make zero bids, I don't have a problem going all in on Elijah Mitchell in this system. Um, yeah, it's interesting because we're in the same boat. We've, we've got him in the main event. We're going to try to bid on him. Hopefully no one tries to outbid us, but you know, we're an aggressive league where Tyson Williams went for what 55% of someone's budget in week one. So just justified by my opinion, I I'm like, I'm not buying in on much of the Tyson pass blocking FUD. I think they're Harbaugh is going to watch Tyson or Latavius for like three weeks and be like, dude, enough of this. I can't, I can't stomach it anymore. What's funny is, you know, PFF and, you know, people can shade PFF if they want. They actually didn't even grade him like terribly in pass blocking. They actually didn't. Give really? Him... Yeah. No, yeah. that's interesting to me. <laughs> so whoever was watching either, you know, I mean, I definitely believe my novice eyes of watching that, that, that fumble, or, you know, the pass protection, the last fumble was on him, but uh, Hey, what, what do I know? I, would you get Brandon Thorne on the case here? But uh, yeah. So basically with those two injuries out of the way, you know, we're going to roll into kind of what the topic thesis of this was going to be. It was just kind of, you know, buy or selling some of the things that happened. We can riff and you've got some of your own. Please bring them up. You know, I'll riff with you. But, uh, you know, we'll start on Thursday night uh, with a couple Cowboys takes. You know, one, how scared and how ready are you to panic on, one, how Ezekiel looked, the Cowboys role in this offense, how this offense is probably going to work all season long. Uh is it now time to panic on Zeke or, or do you feel like, you, you know, he's going to bounce back and is this, was it just kind of a, a terrible game script for him? I feel like he's kind of the same value proposition as Clyde Edwards Hilaire, a guy I really liked. And I'm not going to let one weird game at the beginning of the season shake my confidence. Like, do I think the chiefs are going to be down 10 zero at home that often this season? Not particularly. 
Do I think the Cowboys are going to be behind superior teams like that every single game? I mean, no. Do I think Dak's going to throw 53 passes every game? I kind of hope so, but I don't think they will, (laughs) right? Like these divisional games against the Giants and the Washington football team, those are going to be 22 touch Zeke games. Uh, And also it's sort of weird, but like people forget that Elliot, his big fantasy season actually came with him catching a bunch of passes and he has caught a bunch of passes before. And uh, what was it? Kellen Moore said that Dak, they had 24 called run plays and Dak checked out at 12 of them at the line of scrimmage. So like, that's another in-game variable. He played 82% of the snaps. We think the Cowboys are going to score a ton of points. If Blake Jarwin just blocks that cornerback when he was supposed to, instead of blocking no one and Zeke walks into the end zone, are we feeling the terror about Zeke? Mm-hmm. Like, no, I, I, I think that, I mean, maybe you feel stupid for taking Zeke over Tyree kill in your draft, which like, I, I don't certainly that's something I did a bunch and I might feel a little bit stupid about that. But do I think that I'm like, oh, Zeke is like a low end RB2 now? Like, no, I, I'm, I'm the panic meter is like a three for me on him, I think. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Really, the only thing disappointing, I think, from that game, so a lot of us knew that the Bucs were going to kind of stifle them on the ground anyways. That's what every team that, that plays the Bucs, they end up going pass heavy, uh, was just the the lack of targets, you know, to have that many dropbacks. You know, he was on the field for 71% of the team dropbacks, which was fourth among all running backs. But just, you know, just no targets were there for him. So it's something we don't want to have be sticky, you know, week over week. I actually, it was ironically, it always kind of thought the Cowboys threw too much to Zeke because he was ineffective. And now that I've got some Zeke exposure, I was like, let's start dumping it off to him. Uh, you know, instead of getting the ball to these wide receivers like you should, let's start getting Zeke some dump offs. And he, you're right, before he had the Jarwin, you know, kind of option, you know, open lane that he had, could have had for a touchdown. Dak had him for a touchdown too, potentially, if he throws it quick on that, you know, that, that level sale, you know, to the sideline. So maybe he gets in there and salvages his game. But I'm with you on Zeke. I think he'll bounce back. Staying with Dallas, though, one guy that kind of, as the process went on over the summer, just kept slowly kind of dipping in ADP was Amari Cooper. And he came out and just blitzcrigged, you know, on Thursday night. And when you look at Amari Cooper, uh, the the past five (laughs) full games he's played with Dak Prescott, he has 67 targets. He's had 38 PPR points, 33, 17.6, 16, and 18.1. Did we kind of miss the boat on Amari Cooper and did he become like the the legit, like one of the best values in like the third through fifth round area? I mean, I did because I was taking Allen Robinson over him for a good chunk. Um, look, if I'm going to be honest, I also took Daryl Henderson over there, over him for a little bit when Henderson's ADP got out of control. I was taking pits there sometimes to get different. I mean, I still ended up like over the market on mm-hmm. Cooper, but I could have like 20% Amari Cooper and I don't. Uh, I have him on two of five main event teams, I think. So like that feels good, but yeah, I mean, he's the best. Like Amari Cooper is, he's great. And CD is great. And both of them are going to be buoyed by Michael Gallup getting injured, right? This is going to be a Los Angeles Rams situation or whatever, or a a Viking situation or a chief situation where two guys account for like 65% of the fantasy point production for a team. Like it's just going to all, those guys are going to get, so many targets and so many touchdowns and so many points. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dallas is one of two teams that have two players account for 50% of their targets uh, in week one. You look at Dak, just a, I mean, eventually you said they're going to face some of these NFC East teams and the volume is going to come down a little bit, but the last four times we've seen Dak play, they've thrown 58, 58, 57, and 47 passes in those games uh, just to have attachment to that. You know, even like you said, you know, we, we even with the Michael Gallup injury, you know, taking some flyers on a Cedric Wilson, both the tight ends kind of cannibalize each other. So there's no clarity there. Uh, maybe Zeke gets some of those targets that Michael Gallup, uh, you know, had as well. But yeah, I mean, I'm with you, man. Amari, he was a guy I kept just taking and people were just like, well, what's, what's going on with Amari? I'm like, I don't know. He just seems like a pretty good value here. It just seems underpriced. Um, he just kept dipping. Uh, another player that kept dipping throughout the process, actually, he kind of oscillated. He, he would rise, he would fall. People would bring up something. Me and you had a conversation with him on your podcast, uh, is DeAndre Swift. And then DeAndre Swift comes out in week one bonkers and just goes absolutely nuts. Uh, he is a top 10 running back in terms of snap rate. He's seventh in routes run per drop back. Uh, the Lions did run 84 plays, which probably won't be something that happens weekly. Although Anthony Lynn did run a lot of plays to the Chargers, although they only they ran a lot of plays because they ran a lot where this was, you know, kind of game script induced. So maybe we'll see some play reduction there. But how are we feeling about DeAndre Swift and missing out on DeAndre Swift if you did? Uh, is he someone that you're looking to that, like you feel like you're just you've got the bag if you drafted him where he was? No. Because I do not think the Detroit Lions are going to score 30, what was it, 33 points in the end. I think Mm -hmm. that they played a lot of that game against a prevent defense against a team that just did not care that much. I mean, obviously, you still have to do it. Certainly, they could have gone the New York Jets route where they're running Jamal Williams into his guards down 30 points, and that would have been depressing for all of us. The guy, the guy from Detroit that I feel like I'm holding the bag on is Hawkinson, where it looks like Mm -hmm. he's just going to be this really obvious value. Swift, I mean, does look like a good value, but not so much. Like, I'm not kicking myself yet. If he has, like, 60 targets through eight weeks or whatever, then, yeah, then I'll be like, well, great. Like, I'm missing out on this legend, this Austin Eckler-esque, you know, legendary pass-catching season. I'm not quite there yet. The the, the Lions are still going to be bad. They're still going to have a really low team total every week. Like, and he is, like... Certainly there's going to be a spot where, where he has, you know, eight rushes for 45 yards and three catches for 30 yards, but Jamal Williams scores two one yard touchdowns. And you're just like, well, what's the point? Like, what am I even doing here? So I'm not clearly, he looks like a value at ADP, but I'm not kicking myself yet. Yeah. I mean, Williams got the one goal line carry that the team had, although it was kind of, you know, in a hurry up situation. So it's, it's kind of tough to say if it was like DeAndre Swift would get pulled for him. We still don't really know clarity on that. It was that, that second half of that game was just so weird uh, that it's hard for me to take a lot from it. And golf was so bad through three quarters of that game too. It's really hard for me to kind of, uh, you know, really take a lot of concrete, you know, evidence from Jamal Williams is the RB two in week one. <laughs> in PPR yep. formats and, and he hardly played if you look at because because the Lions ran 84 plays but Williams was in on just 32 percent of the, the passing plays and played just 35 percent of snaps his usage was very similar to like Kenneth Gainwell and JD McKissick but because they ran so many plays and, and because he was targeted so heavily on his routes it just ended up being a bonkers uh, game it's gonna be interesting to look back on this in like five weeks when he has 80% of his points in week one. And, you know, people are like, what do we do at Jamal Williams? Uh, but one player, too, that another running back that, you know, kind of oscillate around or people don't want to buy into consistently that came out and smashed in week one uh, was Joe Mixon. You know, he's a player that I think we had to coax you into kind of drafting a little bit uh, at yeah, the main no, event team. You, you were right. I really was not that into him. 
And it, you know, it, when they play a tougher teams, it could come to be, you know, kind of uh, it could come to light where there's more inefficiency, but you know, he did rack up a league high 33 touches. Eight did come in overtime. So, you know, grain of salt there. Uh, but you know, how are we feeling about Joe Mixon uh, in the round two, especially like people that drafted, you know, Dalvin cook or CMC, like we drafted Kelsey, but yeah. How are we feeling about getting maybe a potential bell cow back in the second round? I mean, if Joe Mixon is healthy, Everything they said in the offseason about using him on third downs, about not taking him off the field. I, I think P. Ryan played 19% of the snaps. I don't have my spreadsheet up right now. I think they threw P. Ryan one pass and gave him five rushes. But certainly P. Ryan is playing a smaller role than Giovanni Bernard ever did. Mm-hmm. And the offensive line is bad. Joe Burrow got lit up in this game uh, at least once and looks like he maybe even got a little bit banged up. But Mixon is actually an example of playing with all these great wide receivers benefiting him. So it did not benefit Ezekiel Elliott or Clyde Edwards Hilaire in week one because the wide receiving teammates were like too good. But playing with with Chase and Higgins and Boyd, it just changes the context of how the defense has to defend you. You're going to have more successful drives. You're going to have more plays on the field. I, I Mixon, to me, as long as he is healthy and as long as the offensive line doesn't completely crater, I think he's locked in like top 10 running back. Uh, like Eckler versus Mixon. I probably take Mixon right now. Uh, Saquon Barkley versus Mixon. I would bite your hand <laughs> off to have Mixon over Barkley right now. Like uh, Mixon looks locked in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, one of the things too, I was looking for the Bengals in week one was coming off of Burroughs injury to see how they called games. Right. Like, and we saw them be get more run heavy on early downs. You know, they were one of the teams that are the most aggressive passing teams in the NFL on first downs. They were 30th in, you know, expected pass rate on early downs in week one. And I think part of that too, is to protect Burrow a little bit in the offense line. Cause Burrow would, like you said, he was still getting smashed on a per drop back basis. They were dead last in, in sack rate per drop back in week one. So I think them with coming off of Burrow's injury, they want to one make a little more neutral game script, uh, give a little more balance to the offense, not expose Burrow to so many hits. Uh, and then give some more protection to Burrow as well. Uh, so that's something we should see, you know, kind of, that's kind of sticky, at least for Joe Mixon and a benefit for him. Uh, let, though we talked about a bunch of players that did good so far. Let's get into some negative performances a little bit. Uh, one of the ones that's hurt me the most was this, this Tennessee offense, man, in week one. This was one of the most disappointing offenses I've seen. They they absolutely got drilled. Like four minutes in that game, they're down 17 nothing. Like it's just it, – and it's basically a wrap. Uh, you know – the, the, the Titans defense is abysmal. And if this offense can't generate any type of, you know, efficiency, they're not going to be able to punch back and play in all these like high scoring games that we thought we would, we might get. And it could just be a blip on the radar, but you look at in week one, they use play action uh, just 11% of the time. Uh, Ryan Tannehill's previous two seasons, it was 36%, 29%. I saw some people say Todd Downing did this like in, in, in Oakland when he was there, kind of removed play action. I will say they tried to run play action early in the game and Tannehill just got buried on like the first like two play action dropbacks by Chandler Jones. And I think that that might've played into it. They just kind of scrapped it after that. Uh, but that's something we need to come back in this offense. Cause when you look at Ryan Tannehill, he's only averaged 7.3 yards for pass attempt without play action the past years and 11 yards for pass attempt with the use of play action. He's clearly benefited from that role. So where are we with this Tennessee offense? Are we counting it just like a one game kind of flub or are we generally starting to stir up a little bit of concern that this team is going to get the regression that we've been kind of thinking they would do the last couple of years? I mean, I feel like the regression is possible, especially because I don't, it doesn't feel like Arizona is that good of a defense. I mean, they have like some playmakers and stuff like they have guys that 
people who really care about defense maybe think are are pretty good or whatever. But I don't know. I mean, Tannehill turning back into a pumpkin would maybe even actually be the more likely outcome, considering the largest sample we have on Tannehill, both at Texas A&M and at Miami, was mostly him not being a, a, a very good quarterback. And like, if you look at the way he generated his results, a lot of it was on play action. A lot of it was on extremely high efficiency and like low passing total games. And that's just the sort of stuff that like, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers just miraculously started playing bad for like three seasons. And Aaron Rodgers is a lot better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill is. So kind of, it's like running bad. I don't know anything about Tennessee's offensive line feels like maybe they get a lot of benefit from the play action and from having Derrick Henry as their running back. But like Ryan Tannehill behind a bad offensive line seems bad because he is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL under pressure. He, he does not create anything out of structure, really. I, I'm, I mean, I don't have a lot of Tennessee Titans exposure in general because I just really only like A.J. Brown for them. I don't, I'm not concerned about A.J. Brown. I would be a little bit concerned, like if I drafted Tannehill in like the ninth round or whatever in my one quarterback league, that would make me a little concerned, I think. Yeah, this is going to be a big week, I think, to see how they bounce back, especially, you know, Julio Jones was a non-factor in that game, too. You know, basically the, his highlight was he had a penalty, and Mike Frabel went out of his way to kind of throw him under the bus after the game, which was really weird. Mike Frabel uh, is definitely a, a fake, sharp guy. Not really sure what his angle was there. Uh, and then, yeah, you talk about the people that took Derrick Henry in the first round. Listen, if they're going to be in game scripts like they were in week one, it's going to be no good for the Derrick Henry shares either. Uh, so to, to spinning that off, the, the team that, that had Arthur Smith last year was Tennessee. His new team, the Atlanta Falcons, were arguably even worse than the Tennessee Titans, which is hard, which is a, a really low bar to try to kind of get under. Uh, but the Falcons were, they averaged 6.1 yards for passing play, uh, fewer than their opponent. It was the largest differential in the league in week one. Uh, they were the only team that failed to produce an offensive play of 20 plus yards in week one. Uh, this offense, just this, you talk about an offensive line that really struggled too. I mean, they absolutely just crushed, you know, Matt Ryan in that game. The Eagles only blitzed three times on Sunday and Matt Ryan was pressured on 17. It was 39 dropbacks. He was five of 12 passing 2.7 yards per attempt. Uh, this Atlanta situation. Is, is, is Arthur Smith just some kind of wizard that's going to turn this thing around? Or is there genuine concern now for what we had from, you know, Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley and Matt Ryan? You know, I think that my concern would be they try to stick too much to what Arthur Smith was doing in Atlanta, or in Tennessee, which was just running the ball a ton, but running the ball a ton with Mike Davis and Wayne Gallman. Uh, they, they looked a little bit more lively. Well, they looked a little bit better when they were giving the ball to CPAT, right? They were getting some first downs. They were getting him in space a little bit. I mean, the other big problem is they, I mean, Russell Gage and Olamide Zacchaeus were so bad. I mean, Russell mm -hmm. Gage earned two targets. Olamide Zacchaeus did not get targeted. Uh, you know, Brandon Powell and, and Christian Blake or some of their other wide receivers. Like, it's hard to have an offense with two good skill position players, right? Like, this is what we learned. Like, the it's it's the Vikings had uh, Kirk cousins had his best offensive season when Justin Jefferson broke out and they had three good offensive skill position players, you know, with Irv Smith jr. Thrown in there as well. And so it's like a bad offensive line, a quarterback who is overaged and losing arm strength, a totally replacement level backfield, Calvin Ridley getting all of this defensive attention. 
Kyle Pitts, you know, trying to like he's dude, he's trying to learn the NFL. He's a rookie tight end. It's a hard position to learn. So if I was drafting today, I think I would move Ridley clearly behind Metcalf and Hopkins, which is not where he was being drafted, right. just because the the crater result for the Falcons is there. And if Matt Ryan gets hurt, it is it's like all over. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was just an absolutely just train wreck in week one. And they got the box defense in week two. We do have a couple injuries on defense, but that's going to be kind of a, a, a tough game to kind of bounce back from on the road. So they're going to be another team to kind of earmark and see what's going on. Uh, a player that kind of is was kind of a Rorschach test in week one was Najee Harris. I mean, he played 100 percent of the snaps, but. All of the kind of it was kind of both both arguments won right in 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 week one he played in all the snaps got all this volume he was the first running back to play 100 percent of snaps since Christian McCaffrey in 2019 but he also had just 45 you know 49 yards total he had 35 of his 45 rushing yards after contact. Uh, and then just really just didn't look explosive like at all. And, you know, he had a, he had a touch, you know, near the goal line where he was in space and got tackled at the one yard line could have been a touchdown. Uh, but what, how are we feeling about Najee Harris? You know, is everyone just saying that he's such a screaming by low, but what if this is a potential thorn, you know, in his side, you know, is he someone you're looking to grab on the cheap or are you going to yeah. have panic? Uh, what's your thoughts here? No, because the everything like you're right, both sides were right. Like Najee's going to get all these touches. He's going to play all these snaps, but also the Steelers offense is not going to be that good. The offensive line's not going to be that good. And that's going to be a problem. Najee Harris is actually the great example of a guy where people who drafted him are going to feel comfortable going back to the well with him the next year and being like, he just ran bad. And the people who didn't draft him, are going to be like, yeah, dude, I'm taking DK Metcalf instead of that guy because he'll actually have like Ezekiel Elliott season from last year where he gets all these touches. He probably scores like 10 touchdowns and and every once in a while, he makes you feel good about starting him, but there's going to be a bunch of 15 for 41s and three for thirties in there where he's just not really doing anything to help you. And that that's where I've landed on, on Najee. But I mean, obviously we're playing in a DFS in, in week two, you know, no, no doubt about that. Raiders on the short week, maybe it's a good time to bounce. If he does hit, you know, while everyone's taking those victory laps and say, see, I told you so to kind of swoop in and then sell, uh, <laughs> you know, in week yeah. two. Uh, I, he's another guy like Zeke, just really disappointed in the, the lack of targets per, you know, you know, pass catching opportunity. And obviously the Steelers have so many good pass catchers that it's the same thing like Dallas, like, yeah, they should throw it to those other guys instead of Najee Harris. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if that element bounces back, but we could be heading towards like a 2019, like Leonard Fournettian type, like season from him. Uh, that's, that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Another running back that kind of you were high on and kind of alluded to, you brought his name up a couple of times, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, you know, is Clyde Edwards Lair going to be like the McCole Hardman route where just like we always keep wishing for something more just because we're buying in this Chiefs offense or did he just run bad in week one? I think a little bit of both. I mean, certainly if the Chiefs do not add another running back or draft another running back, we're going to do this same dance with Clyde Edwards Lair in 16 weeks. I also think that in some of these games where they kind of have it in the bag, which I, do, I think is going to happen more often than not, I think they will make a concerted effort to kind of get him touches kind of like the, the giants do with Barkley. Right. Cause like, look, we got to pump our bags. We, we, we drafted this guy in the first round. We got to, we got to do it. I, I do think the chiefs will probably want to vindicate themselves a little bit. And look, if you want to be bullish, he played a lot of the snaps. Jarek McKinnon did not play a single third down. Now Darrell Williams played some of the third downs, 
but that's kind of like whatever because the chief like Mahomes is not checking down on third downs that much like it's it's uh, being a third down back for Kansas City is a little bit different than being a third down back for like Pittsburgh or Atlanta like Mahomes is going past the sticks on third down so if they're and and by the way third and eight pretty key possession in the third quarter they go to Clyde Edwards Alaire he runs the wheel route he catches it first down bada bing bada boom so I, I, what I'm looking for right now is for CEH to avoid making mistakes to make them more likely to play Daryl. Cause the only reason Daryl ever played was he's a good pass blocker and he basically is never fumbling or making a mistake. It's, it's never because the team wants to score more points or anything like that. So, I mean, really you're just hoping that he gets some of those short yardage touchdowns and that he can catch four passes game, which I still think he can do. I still think, I think that was a, a weird game in week one right like the the Browns go for it on that fourth down they get the two-point conversion like it Jarvis Landry scores a rushing touchdown um you know like I I I, I'm not super worried about him I I think and maybe that's just being a homer (laughs) there was two things you know I was looking for right out of box from Clyde Ritzler was one is how the Chiefs were going to call plays inside the 10 again and they really didn't alleviate any of the concerns I had I mean they ran a play where they ran a flip pass to an offensive lineman yeah I'm in the you know, this is, you know, this happened last year when they start the first two games, Kyra Slayer gets like goal on carries, they get stoned, then they start getting like really weird inside the 10. And they, they kind of brought that over into week one. <laughs> you know, he just had one of the four team touches and opportunities inside the 10. So we want to get some more opportunities like that. And you, you just talked about a little bit, just the receptions, like Mahomes has been, since Mahomes has been there, he's been under the base rate of targeting running backs. League rates 20%. He's around 18.4%. Because like you said, I mean, he's trying to get the ball to Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. So yep. one of the things I think we overhyped, you know, for Clyde Ritzler coming out was the fit of, you know, him being the Brian Westbrook type because they're going to jam him with, you know, targets. Listen, Brian Westbrook played with a bunch of bad receivers for the lot of large crux of his career. There's a reason why he was getting targeted. Uh, the Chiefs have two pretty bona fide alpha players that are arguably the best unique players at their position. They're going to get the football to those guys instead of checking it down. So, yeah, I'm still looking for a little more clarity on what the Chiefs are going to do inside the 10-yard lines. We want those touchdowns. The, the thing that made Damian so good for the Chiefs was – he would one create his own touchdowns. He was a guy that would score long touchdowns, but the chiefs gave him a bunch of, of traditional touches inside the five. And we've yet to see that from Clyde Edwards to outside those first two games uh, of his career last year. So that's where we want the tuds, man. We really want the tuds. I mean, they would, they would throw Damien the ball inside the five yard line. They yeah. would, they, they're never, I don't, well, and again, maybe Clyde just has like an insane game, right? Like maybe, maybe Clyde has like one really good play in this game against the Ravens or something. And that kind of changes the tide because clearly last season, their plan was to give him the ball a lot and he got stoned on those possessions on the goal line and they never brought it back. Coaches can't help to be, but be like a little bit results oriented. So if Clyde just gets some good results, I can see things changing a little bit because the offense is clearly begging for someone else. Like they, you just are not going to be able to target Tyreek and Kelsey 300 times. And it's, I mean, they're going to try, they are definitely going to try, but I just, I don't know if it's going to work. And especially if anything happens to Kelsey, who is 32 years old. I will say, man, uh, you know, the end of last season and the start of this season, 
Tyree Kill, like with the amount of targets that he's been getting, is just an absolutely insane player. I mean, you look yeah. at just, I mean, the biggest thing about Tyree Kill was the first couple of years of careers, people were like, oh, you know, you, you know, he, he's living on these splash plays. There'll be some regression there. No one can live like this. No one can live on six to eight touch targets per game. And you look at him, he's received double digit targets now in nine of his past 11 games played. He had 15 targets in week one. When you give a player that kind of ability, that many targets. I mean, th- you start to see just these crooked numbers that are put up. I mean, 197 yards in week one. Uh, you get that, you know, you basically get like what that 200 yard quarter he had last year. I mean, you just get some bonkers numbers. I mean, I'm kind of regretting just not being all in on, on Tyree Kill, uh, where yeah. he was because Andy Reid is so smart at getting everyone knows the, the ball is going to these two players and he consistently finds ways to get these guys wide open. I mean, you watched that game last week. Tyreek is just, he's just lost in the defense so often. And you're just like, how does this happen? And it's just so consistent on a per game basis uh, for the Chiefs. So, you know, a lot of credit to Andy Reid. Uh, we'll give a little coordinator love and coaching love. We don't always dunk on those guys. Uh, real quick, rapid fire before we kind of get, you know, bring it home here into our last segment. Uh, rapid fire, week one, buy, buy or sell. You just give me one word. You don't need to, to, to give me any analysis. James Robinson. Sell. David Montgomery. Looked good, but Damien is a problem. Uh, Damien Harris? Bye. We ne- we're never seeing Ramondre again. Daryl Henderson? Super bye. Mike Evans? Bye, yeah. Julio Jones? Bye until he gets hurt. <laughs> nice, nice. So there you go. A lot of a lot of those guys had either up or down week ones. A lot of people are kind of wondering what to do with those guys. Uh, all right. So we're going to bring it home here. We always do, me and a guest, we do kind of our sneaky starts of the week. Usually players that are ranked outside of the top 12 quarterbacks, top 12 tight ends, top 24 wide receivers and running backs. Some players that you may be looking at, they say, oh, you know, I've got a great matchup, but I don't know if I'm going to play him over some other options I've got. Uh, we're here to try to, you know, be enablers and talk you into those guys. Uh, Edwin Portis was my first guest in week one. We had kind of a mixed bag at quarterback. I had Trevor Lawrence. He was all right for fantasy, the QB 15. Edwin had Jameis Winston, who, who got he got all those five touchdowns. He's the QB three on the week. At running back, we both kind of bricked it. I had Ronald Jones. I said Ronald Jones was my bold take of he's going to outscore Josh Jacobs. That did not happen. In fact, he did not score any player. He actually had negative points <laughs> scored. Uh, Edwin had Trey Sermon, who actually technically outscored uh, you know, Ronald Jones. Uh, but we'll give him some transitive property, and we'll say that he you know, got some of the Elijah Mitchell love. I had LaVisca Chenault. He had Tyler Boyd. Not a lot there. I had Juwan Johnson. I benefited basically with the Winston effect, and he had Johnny Smith, who was fine as well. So I'll start with my guest, Davis Maddock. What quarterback do you have kind of outside of the industry top 12 that you're looking at that's a little bit undervalued this week? Yeah, it's Tua right? Tua ranked at like quarterback 20 right now. Uh, He gets Will Fuller back. He looked fine last week. They went to him with a goal line rush, right? Pretty big, pretty big to see a goal line rush from him. Not something they would have done with him last year coming back from that hip injury. And Buffalo is just going to have, a lot of teams are going to just have to pass against Buffalo because guys are going to, they're going to be down 10 points. So Tua, Tua felt, Tua feels like pretty, pretty good to me actually as a start. Yeah, I like that one as well. I like this game from a DFS stance. I've been kind of circling. So the last five times these teams have met, it's gone over the game total. These teams have averaged 61.8 combined points per game. They've gone over 52 or more points uh, in all five of those games. So I kind of like the the upside here. And the Dolphins are going to be a team people really aren't looking at for DFS stacking purposes as well. I kind of like that call there. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, a pretty boring quarterback, but just keeps being productive. And that's Kirk Cousins. 
Uh, he's yet to get COVID, so he's still going to be on the field. Uh, 351 yards, two passing touchdowns. He now has multiple passing touchdowns in nine of his past 10 games. What's interesting about the Vikings is they might be bad again. Uh, and over that same span, Kirk Cousins has thrown 35 or more passes uh, in eight of those past 10 games that he's played. So with the Vikings, if they can't continue to to defend the pass, like it looks like they're rolling over, uh, then Cousins is going to be in a lot of positions to kind of play catch up, and they're going to be their road dogs against the Cardinals team. Uh, Kyler looked on fire. He looked awesome. I know it was a Titans defense, but one of my initial regrets was, I remember talking to J.J. Zacharyson, our friend, right before kind of the season. It's like, you know what? I want to move Kyler over Lamar. I feel like, you know, that's the move, and I didn't do it, and now I immediately regret it in week one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> why didn't they run Lamar more in that game? I like, don't really the know. The, the Ravens were really gross on Monday night on offense and defense. I mean, the fact that they just kept spamming like mid blitz cover zero, it, like it drove, drove me actually insane. If they do that against Mahomes, I mean, they're going to, they're going to die a quick death uh, on Sunday night, but yeah, Lamar, something was off that whole game with the Ravens. I mean, Mark Andrews did absolutely nothing, even though he was on the field uh, really tough to get a pulse on it. Uh, but who do you got now for a running back? This is where things get gross. Running back and tight end always gross picks. So what do you got for a running back? This is a running back outside the top 24. Yeah, an industry consensus ranking. I mean, it feels very easy. It's Elijah Mitchell, right? Yeah, I've seen if you're going to take the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, so I, I actually won't. I actually won't. I will I will leave. I will leave the low-hanging fruit, and I will because I think that actually by the time People are setting their lineups and looking at everything. I actually think Elijah Mitchell will be ranked higher than that on Sunday mm-hmm. morning. So I'm actually going to go Naheem Hines against the Los Angeles Rams. I think Carson Wentz is who we thought he was. He's not very good. Looks like his arm strength is diminished. He targeted uh, Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, a combined 15 times last week. Don't see that changing this week. Naheem Hines, there's your, there's your start. I like that. Yeah, I mean, the Colts wide receivers in week one – kind of answered a lot of questions here. I mean, Zach Pascal played two guys people were looking to break out, Michael Pittman. I don't know if either of those guys are really going to happen if they can't, you know, outproduce Zach Pascal. Uh, so if you're holding those guys, I'm not really sure what to tell you. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Javante Williams. I feel like this is a, a good spot. You know, we had the long Melvin Gordon touchdown that kind of masked how efficient Melvin Gordon was, which was not efficient at all before that run. Uh, those two guys kind of split carries. It, it was all Javante Williams in short down distance and Melvin Gordon had the edge uh, in pass routes 19 to 15 but we've got the Broncos facing the Jaguars we saw what the Jaguars looked like against the Houston Texans uh, they're not going to move the football really against the Broncos I think it's a huge game script game it's a huge grind them out Javante Williams game I'm going to double down since I was so wrong in week one I'm going to say Javante Williams outscores Josh Jacobs I like that one yeah I mean Javante played more than I actually thought he would uh, in in week one which is a, a pretty good sign considering that coaches really defer to the rookies early on in the season. All right. Now this is the receiver is always fun. You get a lot of good players to choose from. So what do you got for us for a wide out? You know, wide out is tougher because I, I also am, I'm going to go with a guy who's deeper than wide receiver 36. Cause again, you know, I, I think that if you have a top 24 wide receiver one, like you're starting Robert Woods, it's not, Right. And maybe you're maybe you're a little concerned about his target tree or whatever last week. Uh, so I am going to go with Marquise Brown, who is the wide receiver 38. I was pretty encouraged by how he looked. It looks like the Ravens uh, defense is maybe not as good as it has been in years past and also looks like they're a little bit more 
hesitant to just be like, all right, we're piling Lamar behind Mark Andrews. Like we're running QB power. Like for whatever reason, it seemed like they didn't want to do that. So that's going to translate to more targets for Marquise Brown, who when he's healthy is just like always good. Like the idea that Marquise Brown is not good for fantasy is like, I don't know. See, it seems absurd to me. Yeah, there's definitely a multiverse outcome where Marquise Brown goes to like a pass heavier offense and, and is like having like a great striving at the start of his career. But, uh, you know, on an efficiency basis, he's been good for what the role he's been in in that Baltimore offense. And he said he's a talented player. People forget that um, as well. So I'm going to go with your I'm going to stack with your guy to uh, I'm going to go with Jalen Waddle. Uh, he's just, I feel like he's way too low in yeah. industry rankings right now. And it could be something like you said uh, earlier in the week, it's Wednesday and recording this, you know, by Sunday, he could be ranked a lot higher, but I feel like a lot of people are treating him as like a, you know, like a flex proposition. I think he's already kind of a guy that's like a wide receiver three plus in lineups. You know, he, he had a strong start against the Patriots defense. That is really good. You know, he had the six targets, but it wasn't just the six targets. It was that they were consciously running plays for him, for him. Yeah. Which we always love. I also like that. He he is going to work in the slot a lot. You're in 75% of his routes in the slot. So when you add Will Fuller on the outside with Devontae Parker, I think getting a player of Waddle speed in the slot when those guys can stretch the field too is going to like it's good. When this all comes together, it's going to be really nice. I like the upside for this game. I already said to go over. And then also the Bills have been, you know, historically worse at defending slot receivers the past couple of years. You know, they've got good outside perimeter boundary corners, you know, at Trey White. Uh, so that's typically where we want to attack them. So I, I think Waddle is being treated a little bit too low right now. I don't know if it's maybe just he had the touchdown and people are worried that that kind of little anchoring effect. But uh, I mean, listen, all three of those guys, Waddle, Chase, and uh, Devontae Smith, all, all looked apart week one. Yeah, no, I, I I feel very bullish on Waddle because Waddle, I actually expected to like have to play behind Albert Wilson and Preston Williams and Mac Collins. And they they were just like, nope, wheels up, let's go. And Waddle was even banged up in training camp for a little bit. So normally if there's any kind of that stuff happening with rookie wide receivers that like pushes their timeline back, but they were like, nah, dude, wheels up, let's go. Yeah, I, I like that. I thought, I, you know, coming into Sunday morning, I had this big galaxy brain like kind of notion. I was like, man, everyone wants to play T. Higgins. I'm going to load up on Jamar Chase. I was like, I'm going to jam Jamar Chase into a bunch of lineups. And I did, but uh, I had a bunch of Nasha Harris and Raheem Mostert. So, so that, that went south on me, but I thought I was, I thought I was doing like a super sharp dude, putting chase in a bunch of lineups and he came out and balled. Uh, so yeah, if you bought the dip on Jamar chase, good for you. Uh, he looked like a bona fide alpha, at least in week one, bring it home with the worst position of all tight ends. If you got a tight end streamer, we listen, this isn't living the stream, but, uh, hit me with like a deep, a deep tight end play. One. I own Juwan Johnson in a bunch of leagues because I was telling everyone who would listen last week that he's Logan Thomas of 2021 and he scores the two touchdowns, but it's so going to be a one week victory lap because he he ran 10 routes and it's not going to happen again. So uh, my guy this week feels like he should be in the top 12. Like I would take Gerald Everett over Cook, over Tunyon, uh, over Johnny Smith, or maybe, maybe even Logan Thomas, like Everett, very much looks the part in week one. I know he kind of split time with Will Disley in terms of routes run, but Everett is mine. I like that. Unless we're never going to shade uh, Russell Wilson target. I mean, Gerald Everett's season long receiving touchdown prop was four 
coming into the season. It was one of my favorite overs, and he already started out week one, so we like that that he's already got one on the board. I actually am going to go with Jared Cook. Uh, you know, I think out of these out of these gross guys, he's kind of the guy that stands out the most, uh, just because I'm super high on Herbert this week because of the Cowboys. Uh, you know, and the Cowboys just got roasted by you know Rob Gronkowski. They made him look like old Patriots Rob Gronkowski. Uh, but yeah, Jared Cook actually was targeted on 29 of his routes in Week One. It was third among all tight ends with 20 or more pass routes. So I'm really just going to play that I, I'm buying in on Justin Herbert this week and looking for some trickle down. Uh, and getting a piece of that action. I mean, I, I don't hate it. What do you, what do you think about Donald Parham? Cause I know he, I, I don't even I think he got one target last week. He got an end zone target, but he played way more than I thought, which I would, the, the interesting thing to me was that he played like 36 snaps and they were basically using him as a gimmick player last year. They were like mm-hmm. wheeling him out like a, like a trebuchet or something for like, just like targets <laughs> in the red zone last year. So like, one bearish he wasn't targeted very much but two bullish to me that they're considering him more than like a bit player yeah they had a little bit of role for him he's playing behind a 34 year old player so it's not like you know there's not an opportunity here that can open up as as things progress uh, or he can get more as the season goes on if he shows and flashes I thought the Chargers going from Anthony Lynn to Joe Lombardi and Brandon Staley like the effect was already we saw it on display like their game plan was absolutely tremendous offensively in that game. The Joe, Justin Herbert was the least pressured quarterback in week one against, against the Washington football team. He was uh, fourth fastest to get the ball out of his hands, 2.391 seconds. Uh, 2.39 seconds. So they, they had a quick passing attack. They weren't going to let, you know, kind of the Washington, you know, pass rush kind of get to him. And they used two tight ends. Uh, Big Mike looked like he actually had a real role this year. They wouldn't have to just, I mean. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, it, it all looked good for the Chargers in week one. I know Eckler didn't have any targets. He will have targets in other games. And, you know, his snap count wasn't what we'll see him be, you know, coming off the hamstring injury that he had last week. But I thought week one was tremendous just seeing the difference of night and day of getting rid of the shadow of Anthony Lynn and having like an actual progressive coaching staff uh, wheels up on the chargers. uh, And we'll definitely see that on display against the Cowboys defense. Who looks like they're going to be without Randy Gregory and Demarcus Lawrence now who just got hurt practice today. So keep eyes on that. If he doesn't play because uh, we'll be sitting on another 50 Dak Prescott pass attempts again uh, this week. I hope so. I mean, my, my nightmare, my, my nightmare is that this game somehow turns into a boring like Zeke versus Larry Roundtree fest. Like I, I, I can't, I cannot possibly live through that. So please, please do not do this to me. Chargers Cowboys, like just let, let Herbert and let Dak get after it. Let them do their things. Absolutely. Well, listen, that's, that's going to put a bow on it. I'm glad that I got to host you for the first time of maybe our hundredth and fiftieth episode of podcasting together. Uh, Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter, what kind of work you're doing this, this season and uh, where they can find all that work. Yeah, uh, every day, Sports Grid TV. If you have, you know, YouTube, Roku, however you, if you stream TV, you get Sports Grid TV. I'm on there every day, noon to two Central Time. Sports Grid Fantasy Football Cast every day during the week. Rich is on there on Fridays. We we shoot we shoot uh, shoot the breeze, pick some games against the spread. Swolecast on Wednesdays, and uh, yeah, that's 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 what we're doing. Beautiful, beautiful. Listen, we survived week one. We're headed into week two. We'll have some good storylines. Remember, everyone, use SHARP25, promo code 25% off any of the site. And we will be back in week three. Later. Later.